The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. I will not wear the mask. I will not wear the mask. I will not wear the mask. I will not wear a mask. I will not get the vaccine. I will not get the vaccine. And I will not get the vaccine. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. In the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust, and I will not be afraid. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day. For the Lord is the great God, and the great King above Rise all. up, O judge of the earth. Render punishment to the proud. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked chime? Righteousness and justice are the foundation of this I hate world. the work of those who fall away. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I have said... Mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall stand. On an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and on the harp, with harmonious sound. For you, O Lord, have made me glad through your works. I will you, triumph in the works of your are on high forevermore. For behold, your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. I will defy tyrants. 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 And with that, good morning, America. Welcome Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people. All the boat rockers are in the house and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution, not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S.-occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. And for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns you about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authority. Word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us here this morning. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so. SonsofLibertyRadio.com and also SonsofLibertyMedia.com. In fact, if you're listening by way of Red State Talk Radio and you want to watch the video portion of the radio show, that's right, you can see the face that's made for radio. Head over to SonsofLibertyMedia.com and you'll see that there's uh, two videos up there. Now, I say I'm live. I am live at this time. We're pre-recording this. This is going to be aired on Independence Day, so happy Independence Day to everyone. Uh, but on the left side would be Bradley's show from the previous day, and on the right side, this will be changed at the time. Uh, click on that and play. Uh, click the play button, blow it up on whatever device you've got. You'll have a rumble icon in the bottom right. 
and uh, click on that and you can join us in the chat. We're also streaming on Rumble at uh, Sons of Liberty Radio Live. We're streaming on BeforeIt'sNews.com at the top of the page there. And we're also streaming on DLive.TV at The Sons of Liberty. Uh, right up under that is where you can sign up for our email newsletter. Uh, you get one of those a day, usually in the evening time. And then if you're interested in the ministry, what we're doing in the ministry each week, go to Sons of Liberty Radio dot com and you can sign up for that one that's once a week you'll get one uh, once a week and uh, that'll let you know what we're doing in the ministry if you agree with our message and you'd like to um, support us in that there's a donate button at the top of the page you can click on that and make a one-time donation or you can partner with us monthly as a son or daughter of liberty and we appreciate all of you guys uh, allows us to do many things including bring guests like we've got on today and then finally uh, our store is available and uh, I don't know what we're going to have as the special at this time because I don't have it just yet, but uh, I'll, I'll make sure it's in the archive when we archive the show and you guys will be able to pick that up. Now, today is, uh, you know, I, I've tried to get Daniel Miller on uh, before we did miscommunication or things fall through the cracks. That's just the way it happens. But in God's providence, here we're going to be airing here on Independence Day. Uh, he's with us, and we're going to be talking about something that a lot of people, I, I, I think a lot of people have been talking about. We've seen several, our state in 2018 put forward a, a bill uh, for secession. Uh, California has done it. Several of the other states have wanted to divide themselves up or become part of another state, or some counties wanted to do that. And so... The question often comes up when you do that is, well, is this legal? Didn't they put this down in the, you know, under Lincoln and his tyranny? Didn't they put that down and say, you guys can't be doing that? But the people forget our founding fathers did what? They seceded from England, didn't they? Isn't that what they were doing? Yeah, that's what they were doing. And uh, just because one side won and rewrote the history for us uh, doesn't mean that, that, that we can't do that. So. Our guest today is Daniel Miller, and he ha he's the author of a Texit. I am literally, I, I told him, I'm literally like 25 minutes from finishing listening to the Audible version. And uh, he also heads up uh, something called the Texas National Movement. And um, this is pushing towards what he calls Texit, or a secession uh, towards an independent state of Texas, and uh, it's my privilege to welcome to the Sons of Liberty, Daniel Miller. How are you, man? I, I'm great, and thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm happy that that you're able to be on. And boy, I mean, I uh, I, I guess you get in your mind what it's going to be like when you talk with somebody, and you're just energetic, uh, very friendly. And I hope we're going to have a good conversation. We'll spur some some thought and some conversation among the people because we can't just keep letting things go the way they're going. And I know we have at the beginning, I've told people about my view on Judeo-Christian and also a nation, which you point out here in uh, in your book. Uh, what We're going to get into some of those terms, because, or at least the nation term, because it's very important to understand the the presentation that you've given in the book text. So would you take a moment and just tell people who you are, a little bit about yourself, and then let's just jump right into this. Sure. Um, you know, you, you did a, a great uh, job of, se of setting it up. Uh, <laughs> my name is uh, uh, Daniel Miller, and I'm uh, president of the Texas Nationalist Movement. And uh, I'll tell you, back in my, my journey uh, to work for Texas Independence started back on August 24th, 1996. 
that was uh, I refer to that as my proverbial line in the sand day where I crossed that line in the sand and uh, pledged to see Texas as a free, independent, self-governing nation among nations or until the grave digger pats me in the face with the shovel, whichever comes first. So uh, that led to uh, the formation, the foundation of the Texas Nationalist Movement in 2005 uh, when we started out. Independence was polling in single digits, uh, although I do like to remind people that uh, even when uh, Texas independence was polling in single digits, we've always polled higher than the approval rating of the United States Congress, uh, which generally they poll somewhere right above or below that of leprosy. So, uh, you know, m- moving along, we engaged in uh, traditional political advocacy to the point that we know if Texas goes to a vote tomorrow, it wins and it doesn't win by a little. It wins by a lot. Yeah, yeah, I, and I was picking that up uh, as I was listening to the book, uh, how the numbers were there. One of the great things about the book is the history that you give. Um, I, I'm a big hi- a fan of history, and I like to learn things like that. Uh, I tell people that I have people on the show, either they're doing the stuff out there, or I've got them on so I can learn something. And uh, I'm hoping to do that a little bit today. So can you give us a little history on Texas and I didn't realize, I mean, I, I knew it, but it didn't really set in on me that Texas was a republic all by itself before it joined the Union. And uh, can you give us a little history on that? Uh, because some people probably don't even know that. Yeah, sure. Uh, I, and this is uh, obviously a, a favorite part of history. You know, they, they actually, it's a requirement in, in public schools here in Texas to take a Texas history class. Uh, so, you know, we all, we all learn it, but here are the, here are the, the high points. Uh, you know, Texas was a wilderness and, uh, there was an encouragement for people to come to immigrate, to settle into Texas. Uh, and they did so under the understanding that Mexico would operate as a constitutional republic. Uh, at, at a point in the 1830s, uh, the, the name that we all revile here, uh, Santa Ana, uh, conspired with the military and the clergy to uh, effectively overturn the Constitution. Um, and you can see that reflected in the Texas Declaration of Independence. And so the, the colonists there in Texas uh, pled for their rights as citizens of Mexico uh, to restore the Constitution, pl- pled for the rights under the agreement under which they immigrated. And uh, when Santa Ana's uh, ears went deaf and they turned away, they threw the father of Texas, Stephen F. Austin, in a jail just for going to uh, Mexico City and pleading our case. Um, they uh, effectively started marching troops into Texas. And at the moment that they did that, that's when you have the, the come and take it uh, flag hoisted over Gonzales. You have the Battle of the Alamo. And uh, Texas declared independence on March the 2nd of 1836. Uh, Sam Houston, uh, which many may know, uh, led the Texian army to victory at San Jacinto on April 21st in Texas, stayed an independent republic for, for nine full years with its own military, its own uh, government, its own uh, currency. I mean, everything you can imagine. And uh, yeah, those were those were pretty tough years. Right. Uh, but the bottom line is Texas was independent with relations with other foreign nations. Uh, that culminated in the uh, or ended when Texas uh, agreed to join the Union. You know that uh, that issue uh, came. All of those issues came up. Texas was enter, uh, entered into the Union by joint uh, resolution of Congress, uh, and Texas became a state with all of the rights that all the other states had. But never forgetting 
that it spent those nine years uh, and spilled a lot of Texian blood to win its independence. And so uh, we, we have been a fiercely independent lot ever since. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a fascinating history, and many people are already aware of that. But I know there's a lot that that aren't. So here's here's the thing. Let's start off with this. Let's start off with okay. They become a state, and you know, let's get to this issue of nation so that we that we get a proper understanding of what the what the founders thought about these United States versus right. how it is the United States. How 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 it's often pronounced. Even me, I bring that up in my language. And that's something I've got to repent of, like other words that I've used, and I need to uh, correct them to be more precise. So let's talk about the, this this idea of nation versus like, I don't know how to say it, a confederacy of sovereign states. That That's the way I usually present it. Uh, can you tell people, one of the things in the book was James Madison and what he said about that. Can you help people understand who've been taught this idea that we're a nation and not this this con- confederacy of sovereign states, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, look, you you have hit on what is effectively, in, in my opinion, one of the chief sources of friction um, and, and what's causing such polarization uh, among the United States right now uh, is this idea, this concept of an American nation, which was, was absolutely and utterly foreign uh, to the founders and the framers, right? Um, you you only need to go look back at the Declaration of Independence to understand the genesis. Uh, when you you see the thirteen colonies declare that they are thirteen states and, and share all the same rights as, and and this is how it's referred to in the Declaration, the state of Great Britain, right? So fr- from that moment, it, it's important to understand that the the people that inhabited those colonies believed that each of their colonies individually was now at that same level of, uh, you know, as a, as a political body as Great Britain was as a whole, right? Not all 13 together as one thing, but 13 separately binding together to accomplish a specific task. And at that point, it was independence from Great Britain. So, you know, you you begin to see these rumblings after that where you have these uh, political and social engineers uh, that are, are trying to shift that window to create this American, uh, this idea of an American nation. And, uh, you know, you saw that, uh, you know, culminate. Uh, it ultimately led to a civil war, right? Because it was a fight over the reins of, of control uh, in the federal system. Is the federal government going to be in control or are the states going to be in control? Uh, but, you know, when while the opposition loves to believe that that put a pin in it, Right, that that all debate and discussion about this ended. It it never it never ended. That's right. right. Yep. Uh, you know, you you go to the current Texas Constitution, right? Texas Constitution, which is eighteen seventy six. Right. We've got a nice broad, you know, decade after the end of the Civil War, slightly after, you know, a, a good bit after Reconstruction was completed. Um, but you, you look at Article One, Section One of the Texas Constitution, and, and the first words in it are "Texas is a free and independent state," and, and it ends with the words, "The perpetuity of the union depends on the right of local self-government, unimpaired to all the states." Well, uh, essentially, it is an assertion that the union only exists as long as the states remain as free, independent, and self-governing, free of overbearing control from the federal system. So. 
it, when you begin to look at at the fact that all states entered the union as you know respective individual self-governing nation states the constitution makes sense as a document that it is but it is this encroachment of the idea of an american nation uh that really confuses and and you will you know at the risk of of running on here because i could talk about this forever no go ahead go ahead but the the important thing to understand is you know and you see it again in the opposition arguments how they love to fall back well the pledge of allegiance says one nation under god well that's a (laughs) that's the pledge of allegiance written by a socialist that's right right. that's not that's not law and if you're telling me that francis bellamy knows more about the construction of the union than the people that actually wrote the document then you probably need to put down the crack pipe okay so (laughs) you know the 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 idea here uh, that that people need to understand is the, one of the mechanisms that the federal government utilizes to maintain control over the states is this this fallacy this misconception uh, that that it's you know th- they use this nebulous term America right and, and they utilize that word to mean whatever they needed to mean at the time for them uh, you know it's it's not about the principles they they. They equate America with the federal government. And so if you uh, don't like the federal system, you don't like federal control, you believe that your state can and should be a self-governing independent nation, then they just label you anti-American. It's like, no, I'm not anti-American. I I am pro-Texas, but I definitely understand the benefits of Texas not being a part of a federal union that does not share our values, does not share our principles, and is nothing more than a tool for neo-Marxists to steal uh, our rights and our sovereignty. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think that's a I think that's a good point that you bring up because we we got into trouble. I don't know some years back. There's a gentleman down in your area. You may know him, uh, David Zuniga, uh, with TacticalCivics.com, and I think he's I think he's bringing some people back to understanding what our civic duty is. And I told him the other night, I said, even if, even if we were able to clean out the corruption in Washington, do the plan that they have set, I said, what you're teaching people works with secession, too, because they need to learn their civic duty in that, too. And it's not to just go out and, and have party protests, which he called virtue signaling. He said, you've got to actually really do the work. And um, you're exactly right. They're, they have been overbearing. They've been encroaching on things. And this is going to come to – I'm going to have a question about money in a minute. But money has been an issue. And even in Texas, um, it's the taking of the federal dollars to institute a federal education system, which is against – I mean, we never gave the federal government any of that in uh, Article One, Section 8. I mean, we, we didn't give them anything over education, yet they write bills, they they – send money in there they send you know recommendations all this kind of stuff a whole department of education and that's flowed out to some other places which we touch on every wednesday here and it's like texas has those same problems with that authoritarianism that's going on but they they still take the government cheese so i'm going to get into something i want you to keep that in the back of your mind because near the end of the show i want to ask you what are some of the things that you're going to do to ensure that, you know, like Mel Gibson's character in The Patriot, where he stood up and he said, you know, why do I want to trade one tyrant 3,000 miles away for 3,000 tyrants one mile away? What do you what do you see happening to ensure, because you're already seeing some of that now in your state government, what, what are you seeing as a foundation 
to do that. So keep that in your mind. I know I'm jumping the gun. Um, okay, so no, no spoilers. Yeah, well, no. no I, I want you to. I want you to think about that because that's where I want to go. Because we want to see the solutions. We don't want to just hear about the problems, sure. and that we want to see the solutions. So, sure. when one of the things you make a point in your book, what was it, when was it like in the eighties or the fifties or something? There was like fifty four countries in the world. Did I hear that right? And then, can you yeah. give us those numbers a little bit as to how that progressed? Yeah, and I'll tell you, you know, when when I talked about crossing that line in the sand in '96, one of the, um, I guess, probably one of the things that that hung in the back of my head that that led me to understand that the concept of Texas independence uh, was real and viable was a book that I had read, you know, a year or so prior. Uh, called Global Paradox by a guy named John Nesbitt. Uh, Nesbitt wrote, and for those of you who are unfamiliar, he wrote a book called Megatrends, Megatrends 2000. You know, in the in the 80s and 90s, he was, um, I mean, I guess you could call him an economic futurist, right? I'm, I'm not I'm not here to give Nesbitt's uh, CV, right? But, uh, but you know, he was he was a best selling author. And so, uh, you know, being a guy with a tech background, I I got the book Global Paradox because it was ostensibly about uh, the telecommunications revolution, right? And and what the telecommunications revolution was essentially shrinking the world because it was making trade between self-governing independent nations uh, far easier. But the thesis of his book and why it's called Global Paradox was simply this. It says, while the world's trends point overwhelmingly toward economic interdependence on one hand, they're also pointing toward political independence on the other. And, and that was the paradox is that as the world was growing closer because of trade and the telecommunications revolution, is it was we were seeing a, a resultant spike in the number of people that were raising up and saying, we believe the best people to govern us just happen to be us. And, you know, this this uh, blow up of self-determination and self-government. And so the stat that always stuck with me was he talked about at the end of World War II, there were roughly 54 fully sovereign recognized countries around the world. And by the time of the book's publication, there were 192. Um, now, those countries, those self-governing nations didn't fall from space. The earth didn't get any bigger. They were people just like us here in Texas or you in South Carolina or anybody in any other state that said, you know, we have a political body here uh, and there's no need for us to be governed by people that we didn't elect forcing policies on us that we don't want. And so you see from the end of World War II to even this day, uh, this explosion of self-governing independent nation states around the world. And, and I will tell you, it is the it is the one thing that absolutely drives the globalists nuts. Uh, the one thing that they they cannot that they have not been able to put a lid on or contain, uh, and and you know while they were moving while they're moving toward uh, you know further integration in Europe, you started seeing Euroskeptic movements pop up. Uh, you know as they start moving toward these larger global trading blocks with political implications, uh, you know you you see these countries stand up and say you know what we don't need to be governed by you. So the globalists, it, it drives them nuts. And, uh, you know, the, the concept of nationhood and nationalism, they absolutely detest. And so, therefore, it makes me quite happy. <laughs> well, let me let me ask you something along that, because here was the thing I thought about. Hmm. They have they have made themselves independent. You've talked about going from 54 to 194. Is that what you said? 
something it was like 100, that? 192, but that number's grown since. Yeah, it's grown since. So how many of those have now had treaties to where they're joined globally with the United Nations? Isn't it like 192 or something like that that they're in there, or is it not that many? Yeah, the yeah, I mean the the United Nations I- issue is one there. You know, so many of them do, and okay. and they try to hold that that carrot over them. But the degree you have to understand the degree of United Nations control over countries that have signed that that charter uh, is is not nearly as great as one might imagine. As a matter of fact, I would submit that we probably have far more UN control uh, over policies here in the United States oh, than many other countries. So, um, you know, uh, you know, that that the whole UN treaty thing, I think, is, is somewhat of a, a separate topic. But I think the, the one thing, the biggest takeaway is, is that not a single one of those countries that's gotten their independence has really voted to give it up. You know, the only block that we're seeing right now, um, and of course we're seeing it fall apart, that's that's doing anything even remotely like that would be the European Union. And as they try to concentrate greater, greater control in Brussels, uh, you're seeing the absolute growth of, of these Eurosceptic movements. I mean, it, it led to Brexit. Um, and, you know, you, you saw Marine Le Pen uh, do quite well in the French elections yeah, there. There are burgeoning movements for Grexit and, and I Texit, you know, for Italy. Um, you know, you see absolute resistance by Hungary and Poland uh, over the EU's interference in their laws. So, uh, you know, the, the European Union, while screaming headlong toward trying to be a carbon copy of the uh, federal regime in Washington, D.C., is very much like Washington, D.C., on the cusp of losing it all. Yeah, what we're really talking about, and we we brought this up on on the show many times, is decentralization. When you centralize right. government to the point where it, it it it's the natural tendency of man to be corrupt. And you know, here at the Sons of Liberty, we point to you you can't talk about you can't talk about liberty unless you talk about the person of the Lord Jesus who gave men liberty. He he said, "Whom the Son sets free will be free indeed." And so we we see that as the foundation for why men have liberty in the first place. But the reality is, we all know men are susceptible to corruption, and when that gets centralized, especially when it's in a, like the district of criminals up there and their crime syndicate. They they are they're easily tempted, easily swayed, and there's nobody there to hold them accountable. Uh, so it, it becomes a real problem for the people that they're supposed to serve because they're in the employees, and uh, mm-hmm. and and so the employees are telling, it, "Nope, we're gonna we're gonna you know raise our salary. We're gonna work when we want to. We're you know we'll listen to you if you want to. Otherwise, you're an idiot. You're you're conspiracy theorist or whatever." So here's the thing. What is the what is the step forward? You guys have a lot of people going, uh, getting on board with this. They agree with what's being said. One of the things in the books, and and I talk about the sen- sentimentality of people who you know they'll just pull out the flag or whatever, and they have a sentimentality about the United States. We can never let it go. Blah blah blah. All this kind of stuff. What's the real What's the real bump that's keeping Texas? from actually moving forward to where you get a referendum. And my understanding from the book is that once the referendum's in there, that's just the beginning. It doesn't just change everything. It starts a process. Can you help people understand what's the bump in the road stopping it? And second, what are some things that would might take place? And maybe this will help lead into things I was spoiling about a minute ago uh, with 
with the process that would take place in that? That's a big, that's a big question. There were a lot of questions. <laughs> Sorry about that. that. One. No, no, you're, you're fine. Look, you know, here's what people need to understand. Texit is not an act. It's a process. And, and the Texit process doesn't begin with an affirmative vote, right? Um, prior to the foundation of the TNM in 2005, we did a big two year long study over independence movements around the world. Uh, looked at what worked, what didn't work. You know, we, we, did a very deep dive into all that post World War II, uh, you know, explosion of nations, and and you know that's what ultimately led to the to the formation of the TNM. But it was very clear from that information that um, you know the the process started the moment that the TNM was founded, right when there was a political advocacy movement absolutely dedicated to seeing it happen. Uh, and, and engaging in real political advocacy on the issue, right? To a- be able to answer all the questions, to be able to connect with voters, to allay their fears, uh, to connect with people who didn't care, had zero fear, uh, just didn't know it was an option, right? So it was all about really and truly the first words of Article 1, Section 2 of the Texas Constitution. All political power is inherent in the people. Okay. So we knew that, you know, to be a successful independence movement, it must be a movement of the people always. It's always got to be the case. So, you know, that, that led us into, you know, the work that we have done. And so the Texas process has started, you know, for me to get on here and other media outlets and pr- publicly pronounce that uh, we're ready for a Texas referendum tomorrow uh should should speak volumes right that after doing this for 25 years there's not a snowball's chance that i would go to a referendum if i thought we were going to lose because these are generally once in a generation uh type events unless circumstances change which typically happens uh but but the, the point here is is that you know when you talk about what's stopping us nothing's really stopping us it's just we're moving to that next level right to the next goalpost uh which is getting legislation passed that will give texans an up or down vote on the question of whether or not texas should reassert its status as an independent nation now i mean th- think about the difficulty in in that thing right there uh, you know, since 2009, we've worked the Texas legislature that meets for 140 days every other year on this issue. We've come close three times to getting legislation filed uh, all three times. And there's no need to break it down. I talk about it in the book. Uh, but we in this last session, we got a state representative, a state representative, Kyle Biederman, filed House Bill 1359, which was essentially filed as our Texas Independence Referendum Act. Uh, it is a fact of Texas politics that no legislation, almost no legislation, passes uh, its first session, right? So uh, while the media and the opposition predicted we would get absolutely no joint authors, co-authors, uh, you know, we wound up with a bunch, including as a joint author, the chair of the Homeland Security Committee in the in the Texas House. So, you know, we're we're in progress. Our numbers continue to grow. It's just now we are fastballing toward the next legislative session, which sits in January, and we're building our numbers even larger, even greater, uh, so that we can go into this session and be ready to do battle and get the people the vote they deserve. Yeah, yeah, and I, I wanted to throw this out, too. I think there is a, there is a because we hold the Bible and the Constitution, uh, to see, 
you know, we don't pick these political parties. You got an R jersey or a D jersey or you're conservative or you're liberal. The law is the law, right? We're supposed to be living under one constitution. I think this is, if I'm hearing you right, this is why this is so important to you is you see the uh, overreach of the federal government. They're not holding to the agreement that was made with the states, that the, the states created the federal government. Now it's become this beast that's telling us, no, 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 we're ruling over you. And I think that's this. This is the premise. I want people to understand this is the this is that there's a biblical remedy here. Most people are familiar with the text that says, "Come out of her, my people, so you don't partake in her plagues." Right? He's laid that Revelation on. eighteen four. That's right. So then you have First Kings, and you have Jeroboam and Rehoboam, and you've got these idols set up. We don't need to go to Jerusalem, and 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 the godly people who want to keep the covenant of God, they're like, "Hey, man." Um, we're not going to have anything to do with you guys. You're bringing judgment on yourself. And I th- I see this Texas movement saying the same thing. There is a biblical foundation to this, and you guys are, are flooded with Southern Baptists down there. Um, they've come under a lot of scrutiny lately because of the wokeness and, and the sexual abuse and stuff like that. But you guys have a lot of people that you could appeal to in saying the Bible gives us the remedy for dealing with these tyrants who want to oppress us come get on board i'm sure you've got some people from that who who come get on board with us in that because this is this is god's remedy for dealing with you know somebody who's been unfaithful we we've, we've got uh, paul and second corinthians talking about we don't uh, mix with belial and christ or the prostitute and these kinds of things we're separate he also talks about in i think it's romans chapter 7 where he's talking about a, a marriage and he says you know, you're you're bound to that one until they die. It's a very serious thing. But Jesus also said there was there was this issue that it didn't happen from the beginning. But if there was unfaithfulness, and that I think that's what we're we're seeing now. For the issue of unfaithfulness, there could be divorce. Now God was patient with Israel, but he eventually said, Give them a writ of divorce. And I think that's what you're seeing here. You're seeing unfaithfulness with the federal government towards the states, and you're saying, okay, look, this is like you just went and cheat. Somebody just went and cheated on their wife with somebody else. Am I missing something here? That seems to be oh. what you're pointing to. Well, no. I mean, look, you're, you're, hitting, you're hitting the nail on the head, especially uh, for, for people that view the relationship that we have as akin to a marriage or a covenant, right? So, there, there are circumstances under which uh, that, you know, we, we all know that it's okay, right? It's, you know, it's it's funny. It's, uh, you know, when people say that Texas is, is uh, you know, that all unions are perpetual, I say, that's funny. You probably should go talk to a divorce lawyer, right? That's um, right. But, but you know, here's here's the thing that, that I think people need to understand is, uh, regardless of the nature of the relationship, the way that people view the relationship between the states, uh, with one another and the federal government, uh, the the fact of the matter is is that every state should be operating as a self governing independent nation and should be making uh, a pragmatic and practical decision about whether or not their values, their policies, their interests are being served. Right? You you can you can debate this across every spectrum. Right? Is it is it moral for us to continue to be part of this union? I mean, that's that's a, a legitimate question that people should ask themselves. They should ask themselves: Is is my family best best served by Texas being in this union? 
but but look, this is I, I'm just going to put it to you the way that we've been putting it to the voters of Texas for years now. And it's simply this. I, I want you to imagine right now that your state, any state, it doesn't have to be Texas. But imagine that right now your state was a self-governing, independent nation, right? Uh, you spin around the globe. You put your finger on any landmass that's not Antarctica, just like those people. Okay, self-governing, independent nation had control over its own border policy, its own immigration policy. It had its own currency, its own military. It could make its own trade deals. It had its own embassies and passports. Uh, you know, we even had our own Olympic team, right? If you're into such things, right? But if but you're a self-governing independent nation, okay? So you got that fixed in your head. Now, ask yourself this question. Rather than talking about whether or not we should exit the union, Instead, what if we were talking about whether or not our self-governing independent nation should give up its sovereignty and join the union? Oh, this knowing that was the question I was going to ask know, you. Well, that's what I'm saying. Knowing yep. everything you know about the federal system right now, today, would you vote to join the union? Yeah, that was the, y you read my mind because I was going to ask you that very question. If you were uh, a territory like uh, Puerto Rico, they want to be the 51st state. Why, I don't know, considering the massive unconstitutional spending, the I don't care what Roe v. Wade says, you well, see how they're Puerto responding Rico's to not, Well, and not to interrupt, but yeah, Puerto Rico's not uniform uh, in, in sure. that. I mean, I, you know, I've, I've spoken with, and, and we carry on relations with other independence movements, uh, you know, here uh, across the United States and, and, frankly, the rest of the world. But... Uh, Puerto Rico is not uniform. And, and you know, you, while the, the media loves to blow up the people that want statehood, and, and, and I just I, I love to enter, entertain myself by thinking that, well, they just want Puerto Rico statehood so they don't have to change the flag when we leave. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that there has been an active suppression of independence movements, uh, active, viable independence movements, in the United States, uh, and it has gone on for years and years and years. You know, you you mentioned a couple of instances a moment ago, but when New Hampshire recently debated the issue of a uh, of an independence referendum on the floor of its legislature, you, you could you couldn't find coverage of that, and and it's and it was it's massive. It is a massive bombshell, right? So. The, the, there is a, an active suppression of this, which is one of the reasons we engage in retail politics so we can bypass that garbage. But, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, is that people in states that are not just Texas are asking themselves that very same pragmatic question. Now, granted, here in Texas, you know, we, we can make a case beyond that question I just asked, the rhetorical kind of hypothetical, we can make a, a very solid case. Uh, across politics and economy and culture, that case is there. But but the question that everyone needs to be asking themselves is not about whether or not your state is you know going to be you know in the top ten uh, of countries around the world if it leaves, because we've got plenty of examples of self governing independent nations that don't have to bow their knee to a foreign capital, right? Uh, that that are, that are doing quite well. But really, everyone should be asking themselves. At this very moment in time, in every single state of the United States, are our people being served by being a part of that federal system, right? Is it, are our values up for discussion in exchange for whatever it is that the federal system offers? Because I, I would venture a guess 
and say that if you ask that question in virtually every state, you would get near majority, if not majorities of people saying absolutely not. There is no way I would ever vote to join the union knowing what I know. And that is regardless of political spectrum. Yeah, I, to- I totally agree. And, and just so people understand, the, the question that you posed was if we were somebody outside and I say like Puerto Rico or whatever, we're wanting to be a state looking at the, the, the problems that the federal government has caused. Why would we want to be in there? So if you think if you would answer it that way, then why wouldn't you say, well, wait a minute, we're part of this union and why do we want to stay in it? Um, my 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 wife is out cheating on me. That's 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 in essence is what's going on. She's not held to the 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 tenets of the covenant that was made, and so I see people frustrated. And you know what gets me, Daniel, is the mentality of the education system. Which, again, let's go back to Lincoln. We were warned by people like R. L. Dabney uh, in the South that said if if they get their way, they're going to force a public education system on the people. And he said, this is disastrous. He showed the numbers of what was going on in the North and everything else. He said, you know, a, a kid who's uneducated can go out here and work and live his life and all that. And yet they're educating him. They won't use it. They're ending up in prison. I think that's the number one thing that I see. If they can get your kids education and, and change it to indoctrination, which they've done for decades, that's where our problem comes from. Because no longer do they. This is why we're learning things like the the issue of the nation or the issue of even what the Constitution says, most people haven't read it. They haven't read the Declaration of Independence. Bradley hits on this in the afternoon all the time. If we can't grab that back, and I'm thrilled to hear, I was thrilled to hear in the in the book that uh, that you have a mandatory history lesson of Texas. And I knew you guys used to teach Old and New Testament too in the schools. That, that I've seen the books. From the fifties, where you that was you couldn't do that now because somebody'd be twisting that all over the place. But uh, I think that's a really big issue, and it comes down to the people learning to govern themselves first and foremost individually, and then doing the other. And because we've lost a lot of the individual government, I think that that people are more than willing to submit themselves to the tyrants, thinking these guys will keep us safe. At least you know everything will work the way it is. But let's talk about that. Let's talk about this process. Texas, Texas is a process, you said. So Correct. You, you're wanting to throw out a refer- referendum to where the people of Texas can vote on that. Once they vote on that, let's say it passes. What are the steps that goes on? Because one of the things in my mind is, what do you do about the money system? I know that you guys have a pretty big gold depository. What do you do? Do you, do you form, I don't know what you want to call it, the Texas Star or whatever, you know, for your dollar, your money or whatever, whatever you're going to do. How is that going to interact with, and I know it's been done before, but forgive me, I'm ignorant of what the processes are. What are some of those things? Because a large part of everyday life is not going to change at all, just some nuances that will take place down the road. Can you give people the solution that would come forth out of that for people to say, oh man, you're just going to up in Texas and people are going to starve and die in the street and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, no, I, I love it when they uh, when they try to paint the picture that, you know, day after Texas, it's going to be absolute chaos. You know, Mad Max beyond Thunderdome. We're going to be roaming the wasteland in our souped up muscle cars and, you know, Mohawks and spiked shoulder pads. It sounds fun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, hey, don't threaten me with a good time. OK, uh, 
But, you know, it, here's, you know, the, the reality of the situation is this, is that um, other than, you know, people sweeping up the, the fireworks and, and, you know, the, the celebratory parties, the day after a Texas vote, literally nothing is different, right? With, with one exception, and that is the political will of the people of Texas will be known on the issue. Okay. So once that happens, there are really four stages that, that we go through. There's uh, constitutional, statutory, international covenants, treaties, and agreements, and finally, the negotiated issues. Okay, so where we stand right now as Texas, and, and this is true for probably many other states as well, is the gap between where we are structurally in our state governments and where we need to be as a national government is, is very small. That gap is quite small. Uh, you know, there. If you look at your state constitution, you look at the construction of your state government. Uh, you're going to understand that it is, for all intents and purposes, constructed like you would expect a government, a you know, a national government and a constitutional republic to be structured. So, what you've got to do uh, in the constitutional phase of this is you've got to make uh, amendments or changes to your constitution uh, to align your existing document with that of a national government, right? So a good example here in Texas is this, uh, because by virtue of the our relationship with the federal government, we do not have a, uh, say, like a, a foreign minister or a secretary of state like the one at the federal level. We have a secretary of state. But they don't do that job, right? So we don't have some sort of person that has the constitutional ability to, to handle uh, foreign relations. So we would probably want to amend the Constitution to define that role, create the position, change Secretary of State. Probably want to change from a governor to a president and a legislature to a Congress, you know, because we're bicameral here. We already have a Supreme Court. So, I mean, that's, you know, that's nothing we got to contend with. Uh, so, you know, just, little, you know, structural constitutional things that we have to do. Uh, and and that can be accomplished literally by a single amendment. We did it back in the 60s with something called the Deadwood Amendment, where we struck a bunch of anachronistic language from the Texas Constitution related to Spanish land law and things of that nature. Okay, So it can be done. We can do it here. You can do it anywhere. Uh, but then you move into statutory, right? So once you've made the constitutional tweaks, the thing that you've got to do now is you've got to effectively begin to structure uh, the the agencies that are created under that constitution to deal with the things that national government does, and and frankly, that's going to be uh, probably from a you know a, a lawmaking standpoint a little more difficult, but not not necessarily so. Especially when you realize that already in Texas government there is an analog, a direct analog for every cabinet level position in the federal system. So those agencies really already exist. And, and the irony of ironies is, is that that federal money that flows back in has to be administered by the state, right? The federal government sends the money in, but they send it in as, as partial funding. And then they mandate the state to administer and make up the difference in funding. So ironically enough, all of those you know things that people are accustomed to that they see as federal are generally already administered and partially funded anywhere from 40 to 60 percent by your state tax dollars. So, you know, what are we talking about? We're talking about potentially expanding staff, maybe, you know, making sure that we have some clarity.
But then you get into international covenants, treaties, and agreements. Again, uh, that deals with signing on to international covenants, like things that deal with air traffic control. I mean, really mundane things. Then you get into the negotiation phase, okay, where we begin to negotiate what are actually a very small handful of issues related to the federal government. Uh, division uh, of uh, federal debt, um, you know, negotiating out what our what our uh, percentage of that would be, which I would submit it would be zero, and there's a, that's a whole other line of conversation. Um, you know, the disposition of uh, military reservations, federal buildings on Texas soil, uh, money, Texans money that is sitting in the Medicare trust fund. Uh, you know, there's some, some issues like that that are practical that will have to be negotiated. Plus, there's going to probably wind up needing to be a trade deal. You know, we're going to wind up wanting to get a trade deal, a banking agreement, uh, a travel agreement. I mean, there there are things that, from a practical standpoint, will need to be done. But literally, that is the first time that we have to involve the federal government in any discussion whatsoever. So to your point about the currency, um, the, the one thing is, is we don't have to have a currency day one, right? We continue. Everything is the same until it changes. Uh, so Texas as is at its leisure in switching from the U.S. dollar to whatever we want to do because of a thing called an informal currency union, right? So uh, countries around the world use the U.S. dollar. The federal government doesn't have any say. But ultimately, Texas is going to want its own currency because you don't want a foreign entity controlling your monetary policy. And and frankly, we really have that now. That's I mean, exactly right. Citizens... Yeah, citizens, we really don't have any control over monetary policy anyway, right? That's all done by the Federal Reserve and global bankers and things of that nature. So, um, you know, that that's something that we're going to want to expedite. And the good news is, is that Texas is well positioned to launch its own currency, whatever uh, whatever that looks like, right? If it's a precious metals-based currency, uh, you know, we've, we founded our own gold depository and, and have uh, repatriated our gold assets. Uh, and precious metal assets to that gold depository and included in that legislation that we helped get across the finish line uh, was a provision uh, directing the comptroller to establish a system of electronic payments denominated by deposits of precious metals in the depository. So, uh, you know, between that, the three or four sovereign wealth funds that Texas already has uh, and, you know, the the urgency of wanting to detach from the inflationary and destructive monetary policies of the United States, uh, getting to a currency is, is not going to be as difficult as people think, especially as long as there's always exchange and you can always exchange foreign currency. I mean, it's just yeah, the way it right. works. Yeah, that's right. Now, let me ask you this. You guys had a storm down there uh, that was that was pretty severe. I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that. I've seen the pictures Ice is in people's house hanging down out of their ceiling fans on the walls. It was just crazy. What was interesting was, what was it, a week or two before, you guys had just had a meeting about secession. I think Colonel Allen West uh, was down there. He was in favor of that. Do you think any of, I mean, with what we know, with what the federal government has been funding with, quote-unquote, weather modification, do you think there was a signal being sent there? Because Texas, and this ties to something else, too, Texas has its own electrical grid. Other states don't have it. They're they're kind of interwoven. Uh, I mean, even though we're a, a, a co-op here, but they're kind of interwoven with one another. Do you think there was a, do you think that was just the hand of God, you know, moving through things, or do you think... Uh, that there's some nefarious stuff that was going on to send a signal that says, you guys aren't just as uh, independent as you think you are, kind of message. What do you think went on there? 
Well, look, uh, you're talking about Snowpocalypse 2021, as <laughs> yeah. I like to refer to it. And, and what's interesting about that is, is the, 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 the original problem, the original issue that caused it all goes back many, many, many years. And frankly, what happened during that uh, was a, really a culmination of, of a lot of issues that trace all the way back to federal policy, federal money, and people that wanted to feed at the trough. So just to just kind of give you some some of the low lights, as I like to refer to it, um, the the genesis of of that whole snowpocalypse twenty twenty one came about uh, during the Obama administration, right? With his green energy programs, right? We all remember the Solyndra deal that went oh, yeah. pear shaped on the solar. But what most people don't understand is when they put in the new green energy standards, uh, there were power generation plants uh, that were in the process of being constructed where it was halted in the plug pool, right? So what it effectively did for us is because of those new regulations, federal regulations, I might add, uh, it, it decreased our power production. So then the federal government comes in, they utilize our tax money, and they subsidize these green energy programs, right? So all of a sudden now, we don't have baseline power generation like we had that that is reliable, like coal or nuclear, because the federal government said absolutely not. Okay, and so this money starts flowing in to to essentially make it to where solar and wind are uh, are the only way that you can engage in power generation and not lose money, right? Because the taxation, the regulation on all the others, uh, and so what happened was you saw this big shift in power generation from baseline to renewables. So you you move forward, and this issue had been raised session after session related to these particular subsidies that were being that were being paid to these people to to engage in uh, these renewables. So you have snowpocalypse 2021 happen, and you wound up seeing what the weather does to these renewables, right? You have a massive once-in-a-century type storm hit. Right, because it was a you know it was a fluke, uh, but but these things happen. But because the baseline power generation was not there, and because the renewables failed because they are not designed to operate in that type of inclement weather, what you had was you had cascading failures across the Texas grid, that, and we were literally three minutes away from a total grid collapse here in Texas. Wow. So. Uh, when when Texas Daniel decided, to, can, can I ask yeah. you to hold that? We're coming up against the yeah. end of the show. I want to give you. Can you hang over for, with a, maybe ten minutes or so, or sure. so? Because I got another question I want to ask you about immigration. You got about twenty five seconds. Tell people where they can find out more about the Texas National Movement. Sure, you can find out more about our organization at tnm.me. That's tnm.me. And if you have specific questions about Texas, you can go to texitnow.org. Okay. All right. Daniel Miller, he's going to hang on with us uh, for just a few minutes. I want to ask him about immigration because they're right there on the border. Uh, they would be the ones to know uh, what they need to do about that. And uh, we're going to carry this over. SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. That's where you can find us. Catch Bradley at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central. SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. And Lord willing, we'll be back with you in the morning at 6 a.m. Talk to you then.
Okay, I want to welcome everybody coming over from Red State Talk Radio. And Daniel, I appreciate you hanging on. You want to finish your thought, and then I want to ask you about immigration, because uh, I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, no, look, it's it's perfectly acceptable. Snowpocalypse 2021 is a saga. It's not a story, right? But but the bottom line is, and let me just kind of wrap it up so we can get to the other part, uh, you know, the, the, the genesis of it really all goes back to federal policy, right? So you look at Snowpocalypse 2021 and you say, ask yourself, in the absence of uh, our relationship within the union, would that have been, would that have gone differently? And, and every answer is yes, uh, because it put Texas in, a, in an untenable situation. We had to go beg the federal government to uh, allow us to buy power, okay? And, and here's, while Texans were dying because of the cold, we had to ask for waivers from federal regulations to be able to purchase uh, electricity. Okay? Now, their policies caused the failure. Their policies caused Texans to die. And it all tracks back to our relationship with the federal government. If we were not in the union, then we would have had baseline power generation. We would have had more coal. We would have had more nuclear. We wouldn't have had over 20% of the power generation in renewables that we know are abject and absolute failures and are, are, are just, they're horrible for us, right? So, uh, you know, it, it was it was all tied to our relationship with the federal government, at which time, at the end, they added insult to injury and effectively made us beg for electricity. Uh does that mean that we shouldn't, you know, explore independence? Were they trying to send us a message? Well, I think we received the message loud and clear. Uh, they're perfectly fine with letting Texans die as long as their uh, neo-Marxist green energy policies are held to uh, account, you know, that they're in effect. As long as we obey the new climate religion, uh, then, you know, then our, our Texans can uh, not freeze to death. Yeah, that's and the thing I think you gave I think you used the word there that free men don't do. We had to beg. We had to beg them. Free men don't do that. Well, they, well they this is one them. of the reasons look, well, this is one of the reasons that there was a wholesale cleanup of the uh of the Public Utilities Commission in ERCOT here in Texas. ERCOT kind of runs that uh that deregulated part of the grid. Uh, because that's when it came to light that half of the board members uh, didn't even live in Texas, right? The the vice chair of the board uh, actually was a, uh, a a climate scientist, is what I call him. But he his his entire academic work was based off of the uh, the uh, carbon credit trading. Uh, you know that whole scheme that they try to do, right? That was his entire his entire academic work was focused on carbon credit auctions, and so uh, it brought a tremendous amount of scrutiny, uh, both on the governor and the lieutenant governor and their appointments. And why in the world did we have non Texans in charge of this thing uh, when they're not the ones having to deal with it? And uh, and so it, it did lead to some significant changes, not enough in my mind, but significant. Yeah, Amen, Amen. I'm I'm glad to hear that. Okay, so here's another one. Uh, you guys are you guys are a border state. Um, the you don't say. Yeah, yeah, you're a, you're a border state, and you know I, it was. It's always been fascinating to me that mm. states, for the most part, for what a hundred years after the Constitution was, were doing their immigration, and then somebody came up and said, "Oh, we figured out the federal government is supposed to be doing all this and that and the other," and then that's where it starts to go downhill. I mean, really downhill. Uh, are you one that believes that the state should be doing the immigration policies? I mean, your state is one 
that sees what happens uh, through, I'm going to say, the war on drugs. I, I'm against it. While they push us all their pharmaceutical synthetic poisons that they want to push on people, call them healthcare, and is killing people. In fact, it's the number three killer in the United States. They tell us a plant that God created, we're going to throw you in jail for whatever. Okay, whether whether you partake of the of the plant or not is irrelevant. If the if the beast system can set itself up as holier than God to say, nope, you can't have that on your property, that's a dangerous place to be. So when you that's created this thing with these cartels. Um, you guys are, are seeing that down there. Then you see, what do we have? Um, the Just today, I saw the news. You, you had like 18 illegals in the back of a truck that died trying to you know come into the U.S. You've got all and this 18, stuff. Yeah, there were 48. 48, okay. I, I just saw the report. It said 18, but 18, 48, whatever. All these people are dying trying to sneak in uh, because of the, the the policies that have been put in place, what does it look like in a Texas scenario, uh, an immigration policy? And then on top of that, you know, our um, Const- the, the U.S. Constitution has Article 1. One of the things that uh, the, the Congress does is they uh, support the militia, not the National Guard, but the militia, the able-bodied men, they're to provide for the calling forth the militia to execute the laws of the Union, suppress insurrections, and repel invasions. And the one thing that's been done is the militia, which is basically you and me and able-bodied men, right? We have been demonized as though we're some kind of extremist, terrorist, all this kind of stuff, and yet we need a regulated militia, that's part of the Second Amendment too, to deal with certain things like that, what would a Texit kind of thing? What do you see that forming up as far as men's duties, and because they have rights to perform their duties? That's what I tell people. God's given us duties. The government is to protect our rights, so we can perform those duties. What would you see immigration, especially being on on the border there with Mexico? How would you see that kind of being fleshed out in a Republic of Texas? Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's important to understand that for probably the better part of 15 to 20 years now, uh, immigration and the border have polled uh, consistently as the top combined, the top uh, concern for Texas voters. Uh, and what we have seen is, um, you know, really complete mismanagement from the federal government. And, and I believe intentional. Right. I mean, it, it's a it's a well-known issue that if you want something done, uh, half as well and for twice as much engage the federal government. Uh, but this is, this is definitely intentional, right? I mean, they are taking overt actions to effectively, uh, erase and destabilize the border, uh, between Texas and Mexico. And so, you know, we have, uh, advocated as a pretext policy, uh, since 2011, uh, that the governor of Texas declare what's happening on the southern border an invasion. And, and it is by every definition of the word. Uh, when you had, you know, when you have 160,000 uh, troops land on the beaches of Normandy on D-Day and you have that many crossing to Texas every single solitary day aided by the cartels and facilitated by the federal government, it's an invasion. That's okay? right. So, uh, you know, and, and that would empower the governor to then deploy the full assets of the Texas military department. You know, we have a three-branch military here in Texas, uh, but it would allow him to deploy the full assets. Uh, but we've always advocated pre-Texas, militarization of the Texas State Guard, uh, and deploying them as a border strike force to basically take control of the border from the cartels. 
So, you know, you, it, but if you're looking at it from, from a Texas perspective, right, we, we obviously are advocating for some pre-Texas steps to happen, but, uh, you know, let's look at post-Texas and let's understand that the only way that Texas will ever gain full unobstructed control over its border and its immigration policy is to become a self-governing independent nation among nations. Uh, right now, as it has been for decades, uh, Texas has been at loggerheads with the federal government. Everything Texas needs or wants done to secure the border and have a sensible immigration policy has been rebuffed and fought against by the federal government. So uh, if we want control over immigration in the border here in Texas, the only way is independence. Amen. Amen. No, I think that's I think that's a great response. I, I, I'd like to see that. I'd like to see that. And do you, let me ask you this. Do you think if Texas went on this, they got the referendum passed and they start this process, how many states do you think would jump on board and say, hey, we want to do that with you. We'll we'll work with you. We'll work out agreements and things. How many states do you think it would be very similar to the War of Northern Aggression uh, in the time of Lincoln, where the states got together and said, yes, we totally agree. Now, I read um, uh, Jefferson Davis's book, a great book, um, The Fall, Rise and Fall of the Confederate Government. And, you know, there was there's this Christian theme. I, I keep hitting on that because that's really our foundations. You know, the law of God, uh, he talks about he hates unjust weights and measurements. He He's given us his commands, which you talk about, our values. A lot of people say our values, and they don't really tell you what it is. It might be two men with two, a man with another man, or a woman with another woman, or drag queens with whatever, and all this kind of stuff. Our values, and I, I know Texas's values, were based upon the Scripture. I mean, they're based upon the commands of God. How do you see those things fitting together? Uh, because if you're going to have a just uh, society there in the Republic of Texas, those things have to come in. They can't just come outside of us because we'll we'll fall to our own whims about whatever we want. Can can you speak to that? Because I know you have an allusion to some of those things in your book. As I was listening, and I'm not, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I would like to I'd like to hear our Texas values. Would they be biblical values? I'm not talking about converting people with the sword. I'm just talking about things that that men know because the creators put those commands in his heart and in, in their hearts. Yeah, and let me and I tell you what, let me address the the first part of what you said first because I I don't want to let that skate sure, by okay. because sure, I, I think okay. I think you make an important point about um sort of the overall geopolitical implications of this uh related to the other states. Uh, Texans, you know, and, and I, and I said this earlier, uh, when, when we were speaking about how every state has this right. And, and I want to be very clear so that er everyone understands what I mean. Um, when you look at Article One, Section 10 of the United States Constitution, uh, it lists everything that states are forbidden from doing and withdrawing is not in that list. And so therefore the 10th Amendment is very clear when it says that any powers not given to the federal government or uh, or uh, prohibited to the states are reserved to the states and the people, right? So what, what that tells you is it's not the federal government's business. This is not mother may I. So e each of us in our respective states have to look to our governing documents. You know, we don't have a problem here because we have Article One, Section 2 that reserves as an inalienable right the right to alter, reform, or abolish our government in such manner as we may think expedient, okay? Uh, a place like Nevada, they have a constitutional prohibition against withdrawing from the union. They put it in their constitution. They will need to change their constitution officially, not my problem, okay? Um, but 
But moving forward, I want people to understand what I just said about the inalienable right. Okay, The right of self-determination, the right of self-government, as part of our heritage and tradition, uh, is an inalienable right. Just like the right to keep and bear arms, the freedom of speech, the freedom to worship according to the dictates of our conscience, right? Those are inalienable rights. And so at the moment that our right of self-government and self-determination is violated, we must treat it as an egregious violation like we would the violation of any of those other inalienable rights. And so that being said, it's important to understand that every state has the ability, right? It's not granted by a government. No, no group, no man, no group of men can grant it to us or take it away from us because it is a God-given inalienable right Amen. to self-government. Amen. So that said, to your to your point about you know how how are you know how are these other states going to respond? Uh, I, look, I fully expect every state to start having this conversation. Uh, and, and as I said earlier, many other states are. And, and I've said this time and time again, uh, you know, Texas may be the first to go, but it won't be the last. Uh, because when people in those states begin asking the same question as I asked it earlier, there's no way that anyone can make a case that the federal union it continues to be viable. Now, does that mean that we're begging for the destruction of the union? No, but what we're doing is we are saying that the right of self-government, the right of self-determination for these states is of greater value to us than the preservation of uh, a bureaucratic system that foists 180,000 pages of laws, rules, and regulations on us and, and attacks us with swarms of two and a half million unelected bureaucrats. Uh, you know, there are, and this gets into the, the final part of what you asked when we talk about these values. Uh, you know, the, the, the Texas values may be different than the values in Iowa or some of these other places. And those values become rooted in what we believe as a people, what our culture is and what our history is. And, and there's absolutely no doubt that so many of our institutions here in Texas and so many of our values are rooted in our history, tradition, and culture as, uh, uh, you know, as Christians. So, you know, when you, you know, and this gets down to, here's a little known fact, you'll, you'll love this. Uh, our Texas legislature uh, has 31 senators and, and it has 150 state representatives. Do you know why that is? Why specifically those numbers? Well, how many chapters are in Proverbs and how many uh, chapters are in Psalms? <laughs> well, I, I learned now, something today. Thank you for that. Yeah. So, you know, th th this is the sort of thing. And and for us, you know, when we talk about these Texas values, they are they are difficult to define, uh, but they are unique. They are uniquely Texan. And, and, and I say uniquely Texan, not in the sense that other people don't share those values, right? Because... I think so many of us could say, regardless of our history, we can share their values that we share. There are things that we value. Uh, but Texas has a, a very, a very unique perspective in the way that it, it wants to handle things. No one here is, is talking about a theocracy. Uh, but what we are talking about is a federal government that doesn't care about values, that doesn't care about rights. What they care about is they care about power and they care about money and they care about making us subservient. And I don't care what state you're from. I don't care what your background is. Uh, no bureaucratic system, no political cultural or no political or economic union in the world should have the power to force you to act against your will and your conscience and your values. 
And as Texans collectively, uh, I believe that we can make the case, and I believe we see it every day, that we are, we uh, the federal government, uh, we're not talking about leaving the federal system. The federal system left us a long time ago. That's right. We're just trying to formalize the agreement. Yeah. Yeah, we, we just want to be basically left alone. Let us do our thing. Let us be prosperous. Let us be blessed. Let us bless other people. And quit being a tyrant to us. That's that's all. Quit breaking. Quit breaking covenant with us. Quit. Quit being an adulteress. You know, Let's use the you, biblical you lane. Quit being an adulteress, right? Well, yeah. I mean, well, you keep mentioning covenant, and you talk about it, you know, as though this was a marriage. But I, I don't look at it as a marriage. I look at it as uh, there are forty-year-old son who lays around on our couch all day, won't get a job, eats all the leftover brisket, and clogs up the toilet. And we're telling them it's time to get out. This yeah. is the tough love, yeah. right? Um, it's it's time to stop being the, the you know the leech and sucking off of us and and acting like you run the place. Get out of our house. We don't need you anymore, and we're perfectly fine with a little bit of empty nester syndrome. Well, I I got to tell you, Daniel, I've enjoyed the interview. I hope you'll come back and uh, we'll have sure. a discussion on some other things. I want to give you just a couple of seconds if you want to tell people, again, and I pulled up the other one, texitnow.com, right? Uh, if you want to tell people where they can go to find out uh, more about you and the things that you, they've been hearing here uh, during this hour. Sure, yeah, and uh, you just mentioned uh, Texit. Um, yeah, when people have questions about Texit, we have a website at texitnow.org. Uh, it takes you straight to... Well, that's that's not it. I'm sorry, I got the, I got com. Yeah. All right. Yeah, we're not somebody's got somebody's got calm there, so we're going to pull up the org. Go ahead. Yeah, that's no worries. But TextItNow.org, and we have there uh, roughly a hundred of the most asked questions, all the way from what happens to Social Security or veterans benefits, uh, down to military currency, and even what about my sports team? You know, right. uh, you know things of that nature. So uh, you know, the, there you can find it TextItNow.org, and of course. Uh, at any time, if you want to find out more about the organization, if you want to get involved with what we do, uh, become a member, become a volunteer, make a contribution, because we need it. I mean, this is a massive thing that we're doing. Uh, you can head over to tnm.me, as a TNM, as a Texas Nationalist Movement, dot M-E. Okay. All right. Daniel Miller, hang on, and I'll say goodbye to you off air. Guys, catch Bradley at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, sonsoflibertymedia.com, and we'll be back with you in the morning, Lord willing, 6 a.m. Talk to you then.